Hello, listeners. Welcome to Educational Landscapes, Lessons from Leaders. On today's episode, we are going to learn from Laura Kimball. Welcome to the show, Laura. Oh, thank you very much. It's really great to be with you and your audience. Wonderful. So to get us going, what is your educational leadership title or titles? So in the nursing school, I'm the Associate Dean for Academic Operations is my official title. And what does that mean unofficially? Yes. Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting story. So um, I uh, moved into this role last August and we had had um, about a year ago, we had our associate dean a senior associate dean for academic advancement, which is essentially the dean of the faculty, had uh, retired and moved out of her role. Uh, Dr. Sandy Dunbar, she had been in the role for about 10 years and a fabulous, fabulous leader. So knew Emory and the Emory faculty in and out and everything about sort of faculty affairs. Uh, she's just excellent. Uh, excellent at everything. So we we recruited uh, a really great leader from Oregon, Dr. Kim Jones, to become the Associate Dean for Academic Advancement. And she came in July. And um, I, I sort of covered the role until uh, Dr. Jones could join us. But once she did, though, it became evident that it really took two of us to do what Sandy did. <laughs> so... Um, because, you know, it's interesting to me, I think about the leadership, about how you really do kind of grow in the role, you know, and I think what you take on initially, that it's almost like it, it, it changes you over time. And it really, I think, changes you uh, in a good way. Sometimes the, the change is hard, but it expands you, expands your ability. And, you know, you think about like Sandy having that 10 years to really, uh, learn her role, you know, and then to come in and someone that um, I didn't really do much of her role, even though I was in our Office of Academic Advancement, I held the, the role of Assistant Dean. So anyway, Kim came, and then we realized, oh my goodness, to really get the work done and to kind of move forward with the initiatives, we split it. So I'm more of the detail, day-to-day -day operations person, and then Kim is very much the lead uh, the kind of the face to the university and the outside strategically. She's a very strong researcher and just a very good strategic thinker. And so she, so I'm kind of the detail person and she's much more of the strategic <clears throat> and it's worked out really, really well. I think that is one of those cases where best of both worlds, I think you always need a strategic person and an implementer working hand in hand. That's exactly right. I, I do. And it's really rare, I think, for someone to have both of those skills in one person. I think actually Sandy Dunbar did have that, but I think that's really rare. And so, and particularly the growth that we've had in faculty and students, it, it was a good time to kind of think about because I, uh, it was very, very busy with one person doing it for sure. I can only yeah. imagine. <laughs> yeah. So um, thinking about, as you said, your role involves a lot of the day-to-day -day operations. So what do you do? Like if somebody was to follow you for a week or a month, what would they see? So I see it's a lot of very uh, involved in the day-to-day -day implementation of 
you know, what faculty do. So faculty in their role. So it's sort of like if you think about faculty from across a trajectory of the lifespan of a career from the time that they're recruited into Emory School of Nursing until the time that they retire and leave or, you know, transition to a different position. And we often have people that leave our faculty that are become deans and associate deans and some things like that because they grow so much. So I'm involved in like the search, search committee, setting up uh, requisitions within HR, um, and then um, helping create contracts and and working with senior staff who, you know, send the contracts out, but certainly a part of that. And then once they're <clears throat> hired, um, helping oversee and making sure that they're onboarded correctly. So following with that and the faculty retreat and then also um, assignments. So kind of uh, we have assistant deans that make assignments, but sort of like that 30,000 foot view of um, are people optimally assigned according to their rank and track. Um, so I'm sort I, I do that. Uh, I deal with um, annual reviews and performance reviews. And luckily we don't have a whole, many performance issues, but I think, and then a lot of mentoring more so, I think of just kind of working with um, junior faculty in their careers and uh, me working one-on-one -on -one with people, but then also just facilitating the mentoring processes in the school and assuring, you know, that people get connected to the right mentors and the right resources. Uh, and then, you know, even sort of the retirement part of it. And then there's a lot of, I think we have a very matrix structure. So there's a lot of like working across units too with our office of education, our office of nursing research, just to make sure that just, you know, our, our school really moves forward in the way that it, that it should. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a, uh, it's busy and it's, but it's really, really fun um, to do. That's wonderful. And I'm sure it's really great in that kind of role to see that trajectory to see somebody from when they first started through to their promotions. oh oh wow yeah I mean that that there's nothing like it I mean I think that if you're the kind of leader which I think you know I, I think we'll talk about this later but I think to really be involved with faculty and um, to lead faculty you really have to be the sort that you're very very happy for the accomplishments of others. You have to kind of be able, because I, I feel like with me, I sort of coach Olympians. I don't really consider myself an Olympian, but oh my gosh, there are like Olympian champions like all over the school of nursing. And so part of it is like saying, yes, keep training. You know, you're going to get that gold medal. And then to see people that do, you know, they, they, you know, get big HRSA grants, like, you know, Dr. Quinn Fan and um, started as a junior and just, and we see that in the tenure track too. So it's, it's amazing when you see the faculty, like really get those gold medals and you think, oh, wow. Um, so it's, uh, or other, just other recognitions. It's something. That's, that's wonderful. Um, and I think about uh, the part where you are saying, well, I may not be, you know, a champion or gold medalist, but people say some of the best coaches in sports are the ones who really see that big picture and can really guide people. So you oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe we see talent, right? And just like, uh, but yeah, because you have to let people shine, you know, and I think that's where it's really, um, it's really wonderful, you know, when that happens. Yeah, yeah. 
So given the range of things that you do, um, what skills do you use in order to get your roles done? So mine, I, can, I think is really interesting. I mean, I think uh, I certainly attention to details. So I'm sort of like a, a detail person or like, you know, so I don't mind kind of getting in the weeds. I have to be careful about, you know, staying there uh, because as a leader, you can't, you know, and sort of being able to delegate some of the uh, detail things that maybe I, you know, can can do and enjoy doing, but yet probably it's better to delegate so I can kind of stay up more at the leadership role. But I would say for me, probably uh, the the um, skill that I bring to the setting that I think is probably one of my strongest is I I love negotiation. So in diplomacy, so I think if I had had, you know, a different career, I love nursing, it probably would have been like a, a diplomat or negotiate like peace treaties and things like that. So I really kind of like um, keeping the peace. <laughs> and so, um, uh, so it's kind of funny. I grew up in a, uh, with five children in our family, we had kind of a small house and my sister clearly remembers the time that I helped her negotiate being able to shave her legs with my parents. And I went in and kind of made this argument about why she's four years younger than me. But, um, she was like very thankful for the negotiation skills at that point. And so, you know, I brought that to bear a lot in my role of just, um, you know, sort of like trying to kind of find a find an equilibrium, find a peace, because I think ultimately, you know, if you, if you have an organization where there's constant flux or people can't work together in teams and they're really great people too, it's not like there's, you know, it's not, it's, it's more of an issue of just understanding what the issues are and working across. So, uh, so I probably say communication, um, negotiation, I think just being very nice and respectful goes a long way. Um, and, um, those, so I think almost those are more important than, you know, I hope I'm intelligent in my work and, um, you know, can problem solve and things like that. But I, but I feel like kind of the day-to-day -day things are more in those sort of what some people might say soft skills, but I think they're critical when you're working with a bunch of really people who are very busy and a lot of pressure. Absolutely. And I think um, there's a lot of us who, realize after we take on certain roles, how important those negotiation skills are. Mm -hmm. yep. So I'm glad you got to use them early and constantly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so as you think about where you're at now, what was your journey that led to this current role? So, you know, it's kind of interesting because actually, so I I have been over like a PhD program many, many years ago. Actually, Emory's like an interim PhD program director, but that would have been, you know, a couple of decades ago. So it was a long time. And so really, you know, my, my background coming in to, um, I was at Emory for 11 years as a researcher and, um, you know, tenured faculty. And then I left for a while and, and I was an endowed chair. So really my, the way that I kind of viewed myself was much more of a researcher and sort of like, um, you know, more, more contributing as an individual, I guess, to, to um, the institution. And then um, when I came back to Emory, this is my sixth, finishing up my sixth year, I came in as an assistant dean for clinical advancement, which was sort of leading 
the clinical track faculty, but not so much supervising as more of a, a more of, I think, a mentoring role and some things like that. So I think um, I, I don't know that I was necessarily looking for a leadership role. I know some people kind of like do that and they really sort of say, I want to be a leader. And so I'm, um, but I think mine has been driven a lot more about really, really liking working with people. I just generally really like people. I, I like working with them. I, um, I like different people, you know, I like different personalities and, um, um, I, I, I'm sort of someone, it's very hard to insult me, you know, or you have to kind of hit me with <laughs> insult me so I don't take a whole lot personally. And, um, and so I think because of that, you know, like some people that they say, oh, you know, they're so this, I don't, it must just go over my head because I don't even do that. So, so I saw this, I think, as an opportunity to do really work with people. And then when the associate dean opportunity came up, and I feel like it was very, I mean, I'm very appreciative of sort of the dean, our dean of kind of saying, look, I, you know, we think you have strengths in this area. We'd like to see you, um, you know, continue on um, in a leadership role at the associate dean level. I was very grateful for that. So I think it was just kind of like going where my areas of strength and interest were. And it, and it led to leadership versus some sort of planful thing. So I don't know what that says about me. It's more about the work than the role, you know, the this big, you know, master plan. <laughs> you know, one of the things I am learning in um, from doing these interviews is how many people don't have a master plan. Okay. Yes. And so yeah. it really is. It's about people recognizing skills and going, I think you'd be amazing for this. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So... Yeah, so, oh, that makes me feel better then that I, you know, so, so it's kind of about the work and loving the work. And um, I think Emory's great, too. I mean, I think what our school does is really, you know, nursing is great work. I think we try to do good work. Um, and I think our faculty are really great. So it's just kind of the opportunity, like I said, to work with people that are just excellent. You know, you it's just something we're, you know excellent people everywhere and it really helps you know it, it it's something that you it challenges you every day and it makes you better you know I, I feel like I'm a better person because of the of the faculty and the people that I interact with that are so smart kind have great values you know want to make a difference in the world and lots of students in a really positive way so they're they have a lot of great character you know quality Absolutely. That's wonderful. As you think about, you know, you've been in the role a little bit. Um, what do you wish you knew before stepping into this role? Yeah, you know, that's a really great question. Um, I think uh, one of the things I don't think that anybody really set me down and said, like, um, you know, at a leadership role, I think it is a lot about the institution, right? So it's sort of like thinking, thinking more broadly and um, about how, you know, what can we do to move Emory forward? So it, it, so it's kind of like, you know, your career is really not about you anymore. It's really about 
you know, because you're committed to the school of nursing or the or the institution, you're 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 making that commitment when you take a leadership role. So it's not about you anymore. And so it's sort of like having that lens. And I think, um, you know, in maybe a deliberate way, I think I I had that, you know, because I'm very committed. But I think it's sort of like that deliberate lens of like, and it may not, and what may be good for the institution, it may have it may be hard for, you know, maybe some individuals if you're going a certain direction, but you need to go that direction, right? So I think that's one of them. I think another one is probably just, I'm amazed at, I guess, like conversations and things like where um, maybe something, a conversation or something that occurred, you had no idea how important that interaction was, but then like six months later, it you learn that it is so there's some sense in which of kind of like being in the moment at at the time is always really important that you're you're sort of hearing um trying to get all the facts um trying to understand so you can't kind of be an autopilot and just kind of be nodding your head and somebody's telling you something and you're thinking I'm tired I'm just not following what they say but they're you know it's sort of like saying no I've really you know someone's telling me something I've got to uh, you know, can't fake it. I got to be there in the moment. If I don't understand what they're saying, I've got to, you know, so that I, I think that's part of it. And then also, I think there are multiple perspectives because I think I tend to be very empathetic. So, you know, someone may come and say, here's my story. And, you know, and it sounds like, oh, oh, you know, this is awful. And then, you know, you get a other another perspective and it's like, oh, wow, the context here it's a little, you know, it's a little different. So I think it's sort of like knowing that any situation has multiple perspectives and context. And so it's sort of like taking a step back and not immediately, you know, responding, but just, you know, thinking it through. Um, so, so probably those are the big things that, you know, I think I, I kind of knew them, but I think just probably could have known them in a more, a stronger way, probably. Yeah, very important, very important, mm -hmm. especially as you said, because your role involves so much peopling, as I call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so um, and so in, in taking the time and also, I guess, to, you know, sort of like I, I, I think I knew this going in, but that, you know, most things are not most decisions are not like a non-one-one decision. They don't have to be made immediately. And so I think there's some sense in which sort of taking a step back and waiting um, to send the email, to make a decision to until you have all the information is always really wise. Indeed, indeed. So... Given this amazing range of things that you do, what continuing professional development do you do to keep up with the needs of your role? So this is kind of an interesting thing. And I, you know, I'm just going to admit it. I, I hear that there's a lot, you know, I know a lot of friends that listen to a lot of podcasts, like business podcasts and people, you know, reading their own leadership books about, you know, you know, the 10 steps to being a great leader. And I, and I have to admit, I don't do much of that. I'm more like, um, so I 
I, I, I try to learn from people around me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, I, I mean, I certainly try to go to conferences and sort of like, uh, uh, you know, stay abreast of the cat academy and what, what are important things for nursing and what are the main issues for nursing. And I certainly, um, I think our Dean is really great about kind of, she's just right on the pulse of nursing and probably, you know, 20 years ahead. So I really, I've, I listen to what she says a whole lot because I feel like she has it. I think for leadership in my position, sometimes I feel like even my own um, mental health and, and wellness and balance probably brings uh, more important qualities to the role in enacting the role than maybe like listening to a podcast of a leadership book. So I'm more likely to re-listen to Harry Potter or the Chronicles of Narnia, or I like like someone like Cor- Cormac McCarthy, like, you know, The Road. So I've listened to a lot of just books on tape if I'm walking um, and so I, I think I try to immerse myself sort of in good literature and um, more, um, I don't know, learning <clears throat> from maybe really good people, good writers, uh, than really doing a whole lot of like reading business books and things like that. So I love that realness and I love, love, loved Chronicles of Narnia when I was growing mm-hmm. up. So yeah, so many yep. stories and lessons from there. So Th- even that's if right. it's not a leadership book, there are always lessons in everything. That's right. And I think there's lessons, you know, even even some of the books like, you know, Carm- Cormac McCarthy or, or I mean, he's a, he's a really good author, but I just think people that it's, it's, you can learn what to do, what not to do, you know, you can hear and, and just the stories of, of, of leaders. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So what advice would you give to someone interested in doing the same type of leadership role as you have? Yeah, I think um, I would just say it's it's good to kind of have clarity about who you are and what you bring to the institution. Um, I do think when you're when you are in a leadership role, it certainly it does take time away from your own personal scholarship sometimes and so I think to kind of have clarity about that and kind of what what you're going to do to keep your own scholarship up and going is really good and it could be working on your own it could be working with mentees but I think kind of keeping that clear clear in your mind then I think being very clear of your contributions um, so that when you are surrounded by these Olympians and and people, because I think that's the thing in the role, you're always going to be, and I think particularly a place like, well, I think it would be anywhere really, you know, I, I think you have to kind of have a good sense of self because there's always going to be people around you that are smarter than you that can, you, you know, I always felt like that I probably worked really hard. And then now I have somebody that works that I work with that works circles around me. I don't know how that how that individual does it. They they like, I'm just like, unbelievable. So it's like, no, that one fell too. (laughs) You have to kind of like, figure out what what you're what you bring, and then realize that that's enough, you know, that 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 we need all different kinds of individuals in leadership roles. And to bring multiple perspectives and actually, and it's sort of like back to like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, you know, you need 
diverse uh, skill sets, diverse people, um, you know, to to really um, make um, uh, the institution strong or your your school strong. And I guess that would be one thing I would say, um, you know, I wish I wish I had a, a better understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging work as well. And I would say that I think it's something to kind of just like cultivate that to educate yourself on what you can do to to cultivate. I think that that is also a really good thing to prepare if you're interested in a leadership role, because I think it's so critical to the success of any place. So if you're not able to help individuals feel like they're a part of the institution, that they belong, that they feel like they have a place, they feel like they have a voice, all of those kinds of things, um, I think that that's really important to build those skills. And luckily, there's a lot of like you know, toolkits and things that you can read and all those things that to really help help individuals build that skill set. So important. So important. Yeah. Thank you. So thinking about like the role you're in and a bit about that background of how this role came about, how do you view succession planning? Well, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing. I uh, I I think succession planning is really important. And I think it begins with realizing that uh, learning effective delegation is, I think, kind of critical. And I feel like sometimes, and I'm just speaking for myself, there's there's a sense in which you, maybe it's a control thing, or maybe you, it's like you hate to put, put work on other people. I've always kind of been that way. You know, I just don't want to, it doesn't matter who they are, I, you know, I don't want to do that but you realize but but what I've come to learn though is in delegating you help individuals build their own skill set right so it's sort of like it's not it, so so I would say succession planning is about helping um, delegating to others but supporting them along the way so that they can learn various things so I kind of had to jump in and learn mine and that was a little uh that was a challenge. <laughs> it was a challenge. I learned a lot. And I, so I think, I think it, to the extent that you can do that in really, and, but sometimes though the succession plan is not really clear, you know, and I think sometimes you don't have that. And I, I, so if the circumstances don't permit succession planning, I think in that regard, you know, just to really support the person um, and be willing to kind of do sort of a wraparound until they learn various aspects of the job. So, uh, or the position. So, um, but I think if you can have it, it's, it's very, very good. Wonderful. And I really appreciate, um, that perspective around delegating because I know I'm also somebody who goes, no, I don't want to disturb anybody. I'll just mm -hmm. do it. But there is, as you said, there's so much power in delegating and giving somebody else the opportunity to do something so that they gain an understanding. That's right, because then they're they are prepared to move into roles um, and they feel good about it. it. But I think it's all in that delegation with support, right, and appropriate um, support is yeah. is I think the key. Yeah, absolutely. So what contributed to your biggest successes thus far? You know, I think 
Um, I was really privileged to have wonderful mentors. Um, I think I had mentors that were very dedicated to me. They were very smart. Uh, they were willing to guide me. Uh, and I just think when I say dedicated, just really, really committed to me to, to spend time. Um, and so I would say that mentorship to me is really, really key to have someone who can really guide you. Um, and, and I think, uh, and even in the role, in the role that I currently have, um, and particularly, I guess, you know, if, if research successes in terms of grant funding and everything, definitely uh, was mentorship and really, you know, great, great individuals. Um, I think, I think growing up the way I did has helped with my successes. Just, I think, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for the family that I grew up in. And I think we were very, um, you know, my, my parents really insisted that we uh, treat each other well, you know, and, and that the kids were, you know, that we treated them respectfully, but it wasn't in a, in a very autocratic kind of way, but it was just really a kind way, like just be kind to each other. That's all we want. And so I think we grew up really close as, as siblings and, and, you know, my, my, my brothers and sisters are some of the nicest people you'd ever meet. We got along, you know, so I think that of kind of like, um, just kindness, just like, so I would just kind of say sort of growing up in, um, in a, an environment where really being kind and respectful, um, making the right choice, um, you know, like integrity. And, and I know that at my, my dad's, uh, funeral, uh, when we, we were bringing up the fact that, um, one time my father, uh, you know, this would have been back in the early 60s when my brothers were young, had gone to like a laundromat and um, they were going to get a candy bar. And when they got one, they it actually distributed, you know, two came out <clears throat> and the my two brothers were going to share it. And my bro my father actually didn't uh, let them eat the second one. He put it back up there because he said we did not pay for that right so because we didn't pay for it we're gonna have to share the one we got and then my brother subsequently was like working in a high school at like for a store where he was supposed to make the night deposit and he went to a bank and found a bag of money uh and but the thing was he never he said it never entered his mind to ever take that money he you know reported it and everything but he said the reason why was he remembered my dad had said we're not taking that it's not ours we you know and it's that kind of like um instilling sort of values that that I you know I carry with me still you know it's like you know 50 years later 60 years later so I think that it's just um I, I think that those kind of um, life experiences, early life experiences, you know, can, um, you know, they stay with us, the, those life, life lessons. So I'm really grateful, you know, for those life lessons, for sure. I love that, especially as I think about our earlier talk, and I can totally hear how the life lessons play such an important role in the negotiating, in the perspective taking, in the mm -hmm. empathy, so wonderful yeah. that you had that opportunity. That yeah. Time. Yeah. So 
as you think about, you know, what you've done to date, what are or were your biggest growth opportunities? You know, that's a great, um, I, you know, I think um, probably for me, maybe it is, I've tended to operate most of my career kind of on a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, mentoring people. And I think one of my areas of growth, I would say, is sort of like scaling up some of the ways that I work with others, but to bigger groups, right? So some, and, and so sometimes um, that strategy, strategic, how, how do you, how do you, you know, that's how I say it. It's sort of like, how do you scale up to larger groups? I think I could really, um, that's an area of growth for me of just how to do that. And I think the other probably part is just, um, you know, managing, you know, it's, it's one thing to be responsible for kind of yourself, right? Sort of your one-on-one -on -one for a career, but when you're responsible for a larger group, um, in the institution, it's sort of like, how do you manage that extra responsibility in a way that you thrive on that? So I, I, I think I'm a very overly responsible person. <laughs> I always have been. So it's sort of like that responsibility. I, 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 it really, you know, I, I take it very seriously and, and yet I have, you know, individuals that I work with that literally they thrive on that, you know, they thrive on, um, you know, that's a new challenge. I'm taking that on, you know, so, so I think for me, it's sort of like, you know, thriving in an environment where you have more responsibility. How do you, how do you kind of accept that and say, wow, I'm going to learn and grow from it. And I'm, I'm getting better, you know, with it, but I would say that's just another area of like uh, growth for me. Absolutely. We are all lifelong learners. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, as you think about your career to date and all you've done, what do you love most about your work and what you do? Oh, the people by far. Yeah. Yes. Working with people. I mean, I, 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 and I, I do love the profession of nursing. You know, I, I do love that, but I, but I do think just like, you know, getting to know people, working with them, um, helping them grow in their careers, um, that, that to me is like the the most um, fun part of it. I used to, I mean, you know, I also enjoy teaching a whole lot. So uh, I don't get as much opportunity to do that. But I also think that in teaching, there's there's a lot of that too. So I taught statistics for many, many years. So really loved um, kind of healthcare, like applied statistics to, you know, kind of healthcare. And um, so I enjoyed wor really working with students as well. So sort of had the same perspective about them too, of just like being kind, respectful, and really never had any, I mean, I just love my students. I felt like they really, you know, it, it was just really a blast and just a privilege to be able to teach. So I've, I kind of feel the same way, just really working with people. Wonderful, wonderful. And to kind of build on that, and uh, I will add a little disclaimer, as somebody who got a master's in statistics, it makes me smile when somebody talks about teaching statistics and loving it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, we can have our convention in a, po a phone booth because there's not that many. <laughs> My statistics teacher, he said, well, you know, that they held their conventions in phone booths. Like, no, people probably don't know what those are now, but. 
True, but I appreciate you. I appreciate that. So overall, as you reflect on your experiences to date, what would you say your passions are around education or what would you say your education philosophy is? Um, I I would say if you can um, help students love to learn, and that they, in the learning process, can feel like that they've gained mastery in something that they can. So I think, you know, nursing particularly, there there was a time in our, in our nursing history where uh, nursing education was somewhat demoralizing, right? It was sort of like you wanted to weed people out. It was very, very hard. And even um, the nursing program that I went to was very very challenging and a lot of people were weeded out and unnecessarily so. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think education is is it really about empowerment or just individuals really feeling good about learning, good about uh, mastering content, um, feeling like that the whole being in class and it was very worthwhile to them. It was a good use of their time. Um, and so, and also that they, in that process felt very valued and respected. I think it's just really important, whether it's students, faculty, staff, you know, like in my view here in the nursing school, I think like Robin, who's our, uh, I don't know what what you would call her, like um, the staff that, that um, you know, uh, runs a sweeper, you know, and just, cleans she should feel just as valued and respected as the dean I, I mean I really truly feel that way that everybody no matter what they do their role students faculty administration they all all should feel highly valued and respected because they deserve that they are contributing and you know just seeing her every day contributes to my day to be able to see Robin talk to her and so um you know so I guess that's that's my philosophy. If 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 you have an educational environment where that is happening, I think then it's a thriving place of learning. I really love that because it's it shows that learning happens in different ways and different aspects, mm-hmm. not just in a classroom or a lab. No, no. And I think I think you can't do it if you're in an environment where um, you know, other things besides uh, you know, that are going on if you have, you know, if you're in a space where you don't feel respected. And so you're just like there, I've got to be there. You know, I, I just think it's, it's really important to have a really good just environment for learning overall. Yeah. Thank you. So important indeed. So I know we spent a lot of time talking about the, you know, your career and work and all of that, but you are more than your role. So what are some things you do outside of work to help you maintain joy in life and practice? Yeah. So I, I, I really love like walking outside and I have done some running like when I was younger. And so uh, sometimes I'll set goals, you know, where like a, um, a, a few years ago, I did like a half marathon that was kind of like a, 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 a walk run. I mean, mostly walk. So I was like the last person to finish, but I did finish. So um, I listened to a lot of music and books on tape. But again, 
more books that are like classics and I like a lot of children's literature so I listen to um, children's books um, like a lot of music so I like all kinds of music but I like I tend to like kind of gospel and and I like you know kind of I would say you know my faith tradition is more Christianity so I listen to Christian music I like I, I really like that I'm um, also in the summer I like to mow the grass and so <laughs> why I don't know but I enjoy getting out there and we have kind of a hilly yard and we have just a regular push mower and so um I like something that's really kind of physical and you accomplish that so that in the summer I enjoy so and I enjoy I have a really great husband and you know love being with him and spending time with him and we have a son that's you know an adult now so um so I would just say you know life is great and um and I do think um I work a lot, but I think it's so important. I, that would be another thing I would just say is that I'm not sure across the longevity of my career that I've had the work-life balance that probably I should have had. And I think it's really important. And for me, I think the mo is exercise and also sleep. I think I went without sleep way too much when I probably should have said, look, I'm going to go to bed. And so if I were talking to myself, you know, Laura, you know, 25 years ago or whatever, or 30, I would say, you know, go to bed. <laughs> so don't, no need to stay up all night. These things will, it'll, it'll wait, but, um, you know, yeah. the, the exercise and sleep are, are big. Very important. Very important yeah. indeed. I don't function very well on little sleep. I have learned. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And it's worse the older you get, but I think for me, I could function. And, and just because you can function on four hours of sleep a night doesn't mean that you should, mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of like, yeah. So those were my core questions. And I love that you had a little last bit of advice for past you and, you know, future um, people who are educators or education leaders. Any other last words of wisdom before we wrap up? Mm -hmm. I would say the only other one I would say in terms of work-life balance would be to not feel guilty about time spent with your children, because I think one of the things a lot of times is, you know, that, you know, sometimes we hear from faculty who are really, you know, trying to, you know, get tenured and they feel this really tension between trying. And, and I do think that, you know, I've never talked to somebody that regretted, like saying, I regretted going to that ball game. I regretted, I should have, I've never, ever heard that. And I think, you know, we've heard that people say that, you know, in all different kinds of spheres of life. But I do think, and I think the other thing I would say is that sometimes you can let work intrude so much that you can almost like, and, and I've said this is sort of like not be present in your own life. Mm -hmm. So if you're, find, you know, you're at something and I would, you know, you multitask a whole lot. And I think, you know, the multitasking is good, but, but there's some point in which you want to be present. Um, and so it's sort of like, sometimes you may have to kind of say, despite worrying about this grant or, or getting this course taken care of, or something like that to say, in this time when I'm talking to my child or talking to my husband or talking to my partner or whatever I'm doing, that I'm going to be present. <laughs> so be with them because I just think academia generally can be very 
consuming. You know, it's all it's all consuming. It can be, and and some people are more prone to that than others. And so, if you're if if you're like that, you have to kind of like purposefully say, wait a second, you know, and just sort of re rebalance. So that would be just my other last word of wisdom. Very wise words. And we thank you for being present with us today. Thank you. It was really great speaking with you. Thanks.